coming up, does the road to the wild card in the postseason go through Arizona? And Stone Garrett was called up. How does he fit in with his D-backs team this season and other deep cut prospects that could be called up? And so much more discussing all that next. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked On Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. And of course, we're on YouTube as well, Locked On Diamondbacks, trying to get that subscriber count up. So go follow Locked On Diamondbacks on YouTube. Locked On Diamondbacks on YouTube. Now, Let's get into today's podcast because I want to touch on a whole bunch of different topics and things dealing with the D-backs. But for segment number one, I want to start here because I believe the D-backs are one of the biggest swing teams in the playoff race this season. And if they can keep playing well in the second half, they could be the biggest spoilers in this wild card race. I believe the road to the wild card playoffs could go through Arizona because when you look at Arizona's upcoming schedule after they play the Giants, you play the St. Louis Cardinals, and this is not in order, but you play the St. Louis Cardinals, the Royals, the White Sox, the Phillies, the Padres twice, the Giants twice, the Dodgers twice, the Brewers twice, the Rockies, and the Astros. So when you look at all those teams, outside of the Royals, the Rockies, the Dodgers, and probably the Astros, That's a lot of teams right in the thick of things when it comes to the wild card race. The Cards, the Brewers, the Giants, uh, maybe not the Giants, but the Padres, the Phillies. Yeah, those are teams in the thick of the wild card race. Those are teams that will be desperately in the need of wins when they play these D-backs team. Every win matters. Every game matters at this point in the season for those teams in the wild card race that I just mentioned. And when they play the D-backs, Those teams are going to be desperate, so I want to know, how will the D-backs respond? Because I want to know if they're just going to roll over against more desperate teams trying to win, or are they actually going to step up to the plate? Those are going to be really competitive games, and it's going to be a great litmus test for deciding who are the Warriors on the roster, who has that competitive pride to lock in and put it all on the line when the games mean the most, right? These are, of course, or excuse me, the games mean the most for the other team, but for us, they're meaningless games. That's why I want to know who has that competitive pride, because these are meaningful games, just not for the D-back. So I want to know in a game where stakes are on the line for someone, do these players still have competitive pride to to not just roll over and get, you know, dogged by someone that really needs that win. 
Some players are going to be lackadaisical and some players are going to be like, yo, I don't care if it's game 155 and we're out of it or it's game five. When I put that uniform on, I'm going out there, I'm giving my best and I'm trying to win that freaking game because not everyone cares about winning. And in, in the sport of baseball, it seems like winning is usually at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to evaluating players. Like I still care about winning and I want to know which one of these D-backs players care about winning and I just lost Wi-Fi, but I'm back now, so I don't know where um, I got left off, but let me start here. The D-backs are 1-5 in, in, run, run, in one run game since the All-Star break, which isn't good, and I'm not a fan of teams tanking. I don't want to see the D-backs tank in, in the second half of the season, so I want that one run game split, that metric, to get better because I want the D-backs to win these close competitive games. Guess what? There'll still be someone good to draft between the ninth and 13th pick if the D-backs end up with that. They don't have to try and lose games for the fourth overall pick in the draft. I don't think the discrepancy between those two slots will be that big of a deal. And I want to win games now, competitive games now, in the hopes of building momentum to next year. I got a hot take for you guys. If you want to build a positive winning culture that I think to do that is by winning games. Yes, hot take. To build a winning culture, you have to win games. And so that's why I don't want to plant the seeds of tanking is good because I just don't think tanking is necessary in baseball. And typically, I don't think it works. Yes, the Astros, when you look at the Houston Astros, they were one of the worst teams in baseball from 2009 to 2014. They finished fourth or worse in their division between 2009 and 2014. And then all of a sudden, they had this turnaround. And from 2017 on, they basically been in the championship series or better but that is extremely tough to do the Astros GM Jeff Lunau who took over the job in 2011 did a brilliant job of turning around the team but it wasn't easy most people can't do the job that Lunau just did and I'm not sure Mike Hazen can like when you look at some of the Astros draft picks from 2011 to 2015 like this is going to be a huge litmus test a huge litmus test for Mike Hazen to see if his draft picks hit because Lou now from 2011 to 2015, here are some of the players he drafted. George Springer, Lance McCullers, Carlos Correa, Alec Brandman, Kyle Tucker. Like those are all-star to MVP level players. Those are star to superstar level players. And between a four-year period, Lou now drafted four to five of those players um, in both his lineup and rotation. And then some other draft picks he made during that time, he took those players like a Daz Cameron and traded them to the Tigers for Justin Verlander, where he took another draft pick and did a little package together for Garrett Cole. So most GMs can't turn around a team in a five-year period like that because most GMs can't draft that well and do the trading thing that well. Lunau was out here drafting superstars early and also trading for superstars with draft picks that just didn't work out. So he was pulling off some wizardry when it came to being a GM. And most GMs can't do that because when you look at the Tigers, the Marlins, and Rangers, those teams have been building, rebuilding, I should say, for what, five years now? It looks like the Tigers are going to be going through another rebuild. It looks like the Rangers, they've decided, let's just spend money to rebuild because nothing else is working. And you look at the Marlins, they traded three all-star to MVP level outfielders, and they've gotten not much in return back for those players. So I don't think rebuilding works. I don't think tanking works. So for the D-backs, I don't want them to be in a constant rebuild. I don't want to have to think about the D-backs rebuilding every three years. No, let's get this second half together. Let's play spoiler. Let's actually play competitively in the second half and try to build some momentum for next year because I think it's better for your team to try and win games than try and lose games. Hot take for you guys. Now, I want to talk about Stone Garrett and some other deep 
cut prospects that could be called up to the D-backs this season. But I first have this message for you. If you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks, a few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe, and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss a little bit about Stone Gear. But before we get there, I just want to say yesterday I did the positional battles podcast looking ahead to 2023. What positional battles could maybe be decided in 2022? One of them I had down was the closer role. I had Mantiply in on the positional battles. I had uh, Kenyon, uh, Kenyon Middleton, excuse me, I had Kenyon Middleton as an option for one of the closer roles as well. But I also had Ian Kendi in the mix to be a closer for the D-backs this season and maybe potentially next year. I just want to reevaluate that decision because after watching last night's D-backs game against the Giants and watching Ian Kendi blow it, I'm talking about game two against the Giants, I'm done with Ian Kendi as a closer. I know I said I would have been happy with it, but guess what? I'm changing my mind because I had to look deeper into the numbers, dive a little bit further and realize Ian Kendi as a closer just isn't a smart idea because... And save situations this year, Ian Kendi, 4-1-2 ERA in save situations, nine earned runs over 18.2 innings pitch. He's got like a one-something ERA at just in non in non-save situations, Ian Kennedy's got like a one-something ERA. Save situations has not been good because he's got four blown saves to eight regular saves. Like, that's not a good ratio. You shouldn't have a two-to-one save to blown save ratio. That is not good for Ian Kennedy. Like, imagine that over the course of a full season, if he had like 30 saves to 15 blown saves. Like, you're losing a lot of games with your closer if that's a scenario. The walk rate is one of the highest in his career, while the strikeout rate is one of the lowest. And it's not a surprise to see those two metrics start to go in opposite directions. Like, Ian Kennedy's old, guys. He's 38. He's got a cane. He's out there with a walker on the mound. Like, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And it's not just the walk rate. It's not just the strikeout rate. Just him giving up hits. The contact rate is one of the worst in his career. He gives up just straight contact, just normal contact, at a higher average than normally when you look at his career numbers. And it's not just straight contact it's also hard contact for Ian Kennedy that's when you know you're starting to get old when the pitches just aren't moving like they used to guys aren't whiffing like they used to guys are driving your pitches even further like right now batters are locking in more on Ian Kennedy's pitches and they're driving it even further because his hard contact numbers are also above his career norms. I still don't mind Ian Kennedy as a reliever and a potential returner next season, but let's be clear. 
I just don't want to see him as a closer going forward for the D-backs. Could he potentially be the setup man of the future? Maybe. Maybe the seventh inning guy? Sure. I wouldn't mind him as my middle reliever, um, seventh inning guy. Sure, that's fine. I just don't want to see him as the closer. I just don't think Ian Kennedy anymore at this point of his career can handle those big pressure moments. I just don't trust him. He's got that Mark Melanson complex in him where he doesn't like to have a clean inning. He can never just go up there, three up, three down. He always has to put one base runner on, maybe two base runners on, just even after two outs, you know that base runner is coming on because he can't have a one, two, three inning just like Mark Melanson. So just give the closer role to anybody else. Like I've talked about, I would love Mansply. I would love Kyle Nelson. I would love Kenyon Middleton. But honestly, at this point in the season, let's just make a revolving door every single day. Let's have a new closer up there. Heck, it doesn't even have to be a, a pitcher. Let's get Jordan Luplo in as closer. I mean, Jordan Luplo can apparently play every position. Carson Kelly, I think he's pitched a little bit this year. Jake Hager's pitch this year. Like, let's just try different closers because you never know. I'm being a little bit facetious there, but I would really not mind seeing a different young pitcher, different, just a different pitcher every day in that closer role. Not Jordan Luplo or Carson Kelly, but a different pitcher every day. I wouldn't mind that because I'm way too tired of seeing the two old guys and Mark Melanson and Ian Caddy getting a shot as a closer. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Stone Garrett getting called up because this is a really fun story. Stone Garrett is someone that people have been pounding the pavement for to get the call up to the big leagues because of his numbers in AAA the last couple years. But this is such a fun story for the D-backs in Major League Baseball because Stone Garrett has a pretty unconventional path to making it to where he is now. He was really good when he came on the scene in 2015 for the Miami Marlins, was even named to the All-Star game by MLB.com and Baseball America. He was named an All-Star that season because that's how good he was in 2015. And then he struggled the next few years after that, was even released by the Marlins in 2020, right before COVID hit. And then COVID-19 hits, the pandemic hits. So you know what Stone Garrett starts to do? He gets his real estate license and he's literally signed to a real estate agency back in 2019. He's selling homes in 2020. Like this guy during the pandemic literally isn't playing baseball. This guy is selling homes. So think about that. He has some friend in the D-backs organization that puts him on. He signs with the D-backs. He goes to fall league. And basically he's taken off since coming to Arizona because in 2021, Last season, 25 home runs, 17 stolen bases, an 800-plus OPS. He was a beast last year, but you're like, you know what? He hasn't played in a couple years. He struggled way before 2020. He hasn't really been good since 2015. Maybe it was a fluke year for Stone Garrett, but no. He came back in 2022, and he repeated and even surpassed his success in 2021 because currently leads the Pacific Coast League with 28 home runs, also has 95 RBIs, 15 stolen bases, and a 900-plus OPS in AAA. He's been phenomenal, and now it's like, hey, like I said, we had that positional battle topic yesterday. I chose Jake McCarthy as my lead, as my front runner to be the fourth outfielder next year, but now we got a new challenger, a new person in the mix, and that is Stone Garrett because Jake McCarthy so far from the minor leagues this season has been incredible. He showed a lot of pop and speed and they're kind of similar players when you look at their numbers from the minor leagues to uh, the last couple seasons. Jake McCarthy probably leads a little bit more speed than power while Garrett leans a little bit more power than speed. But Garrett's been like a 25 home run 15 steal guy while McCarthy has been like a 15 home run guy, 25 steal guy. And McCarthy has been someone that's been good, pretty good in both the lefty splits and the righty splits like both against lefty and righty pitchers Jake McCarthy's been pretty good against both of them but he is a lefty with 
already a lot of lefties in the outfield in Varsho, Corbin Carroll, and Alec Thomas. It might be too many lefties if you add in Jake McCarthy. And now you got Stone Garrett. If he performs well, he could be the fourth outfielder next season for the D-backs and maybe take Jake McCarthy's job because he's a right-handed batter. And I want to see what he looks like at the time of me recording this. It's before the D-backs game and um, Stone Garrett's batting fifth. So I'm locked in to see how he looks to see if this is legit what Stone Garrett's been able to do because it's not like Stone Garrett is old or anything like that. Um, I just love saying his full name, Stone Garrett. It's a pretty strong name, but it's not like he's old. He's 26. He's going to be 27 next year. He showed a lot of power. Like maybe this is a hidden gem, uh, a diamond in the rough, as some would say. So you won't know until he gets uh, a decent sample size under his belt. But right now, I like the young outfielders that the D-backs are bringing up. We'll probably see Corbin Carroll in September. We already got Alec Thomas, Dalton Varsho on the major league level. Jake McCarthy has looked good. We've got Stone Garrett now. Like the D-backs future outfield looks like he's going to be strong no matter who's out there and stone garrett could be another one of those guys that could be the future of the d-backs now i want to do some deep cuts some other minor league prospects that you might not know that could be called up this season i've talked a lot about prospects that could be called up but mostly looked at the top 10 so we'll go a little bit deeper into prospects that are probably closer to being major league ready than some other top prospects that we've talked about so far this season. But before we get there, I first want to talk to you guys about your liver because did you know the liver is the body's metabolic furnace? It's responsible for flushing out harmful toxins and igniting your fat-burning metabolism. But thanks to modern diets, rich in unhealthy processed foods, and constant exposure to thousands of man-made and environmental toxins, most of us have overworked our livers. But now it's easy to rejuvenate your liver health and reignite your metabolism thanks to Liver Health Formula by Pure Health Research. Liver Health Formula contains eight liver-boosting super nutrients like turmeric, beet, and artichoke extract, all of which work together to wake up a sluggish liver and turn it into a toxin-flushing and fat-burning machine. No more bloated belly, no more uncomfortable digestion, no more feeling tired and low energy all the time. And best of all, liver health formula makes it easier to maintain a healthy body weight long term as a listener of our show you can try liver health formula risk free today and get a free bottle of curb fit with your order curb fit is a safe and all natural appetite suppressant making it easy to say no to naughty foods this makes it the perfect complement to liver health formula go to getliverhelp.com slash mlb to learn more again that's getliverhelp.com slash mlb to try liver health formula completely risk-free and claim your free bottle of curb fit with your order go to getliverhelp.com slash mlb to get started All right, all right, all right. Let's wrap up the podcast and discuss some other D-backs prospects that could be called up, some deeper cuts. And I first want to start with the number 13 prospect in the D-backs organization, Dominic Fletcher. And I chose these three guys because all of them have an ETA of 2022 to potentially make it to the big leagues. Dominic Fletcher, as I just mentioned, number 13 prospect, according to MLB.com. And also, I should mention, um, 
MLB.com redid their top 100. Corbin Carroll, I think, is now at number three. I think he was like number two a couple weeks ago. What are you doing, MLB.com? He's number three now. But Lawler, Jordan Lawler, Lawler, Jordan Lawler, I believe he's 13 now. And Drew Jones all the way up to 12. So the D-backs, three of the top 13 prospects. Got to be feeling good if you're a D-backs fan knowing that. But let's get back to my list. Dominic Fletcher, number 13 prospect, 24 in AAA right now, plays mostly center field. So another guy that could potentially be the fourth outfielder for the D-backs, taking 75th overall in 2019. And Dominic Fletcher might sound a little bit familiar because he's the younger brother of David Fletcher, who's not some impressive outfielder, but he's been a pretty solid fourth outfielder throughout his major league career mostly with the Angels and maybe that could be the path that Dominic Fletcher takes because he's considered one of the better defensive players in the system and I think that's mostly where he gets his floor from is from his great defense could be the fourth outfielder like I said but he's also been a pretty good guy at the plate two of the last excuse me three seasons been a 300 plus 850 plus OPS guy two of the last three seasons 300 plus average 850 plus OPS two of the last three seasons so I do think he could be someone that's given a shot 24 AAA ready to go right now I wouldn't mind seeing a Dominique Fletcher be called up but this next guy I think I'm a little bit more excited about if he got called up despite him being number 20 among all D-backs prospects according to MLB.com that is Dominic Canzone 25 AAA as well and considered both a first baseman and an outfielder despite playing mostly outfield eighth rounder back in 2019 because he's got a little bit of a funky swing to him not the most um mechanical swing or um what's the word i'm looking for but whatever it is scouts just are a little bit more skeptical about his swing than some other prospects that's why he went eighth despite him raking throughout his whole career this is a part of the scouting process that i don't understand like yeah it might be a little bit funky his swing or whatever but if the dude is producing isn't that what matters at the end of the day like how many kevin eucalyses or john carlos stan who just have weird stances and swings but those guys are just like all-star level players every year or better like who cares about your swing if you're getting the production that's all that matters to me because this is someone that's used a big leg kick for his hitting profile throughout his career but it's not like it's turned dominic canzone into to a strikeout machine throughout his career he's basically been like a two to one strikeout to walk ratio and when I tell you this man has raked throughout his career I'm going all the way back to college when I tell you he's ranked uh when I tell you he's been raking because I don't care about any leg kicks or anything when you're putting up numbers like this his career college stats 336 average 928 OPS and his final season with Ohio State, 16 home runs and eight stolen bases in like um, 70 games or less. It was like 60 games he played that final year. So he's got a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. And so far throughout his minor league career, 293 average and 889 OPS in the minor leagues. So far this season in 70 games, 18 home runs and 12 stolen bases. So he could potentially be a 2020 guy. Even though he's not considered a great base runner, he could tap into that power um, department potentially on the major league level. And he's also someone where you look at his splits, they're both pretty good against righty and lefty pitchers. So from Toy Lavello's perspective, he won't have to worry about platooning him. So Dominic Canzone is someone that would be really excited about seeing on the major league level because if he can play first base, maybe he's the first baseman of the future considering he just raked every level of his career going back to college. So I wouldn't mind seeing Canzone get a shot at all. Then the last guy who could be called up this season 
who might be a little bit more unlikely than the other two because he's still in double A. But Bryce Jarvis is considered the 18th best prospect in the D-backs organization, a right-handed pitcher. And the reason why I have him on this list despite being in double A is because it's ETA on MLB.com is 2022. And this is someone that um, made his major league or pro debut just last season 2021 because he was drafted pretty recently and he's someone that's been promoted through the system pretty quickly because he made it to double a in his first big league rookie ball high a then double a this guy pretty much flew through the season and he hasn't been as good this year his numbers are way worse this season compared to last year but still since being drafted added 20 pounds of muscle considered a pretty polished pitcher pretty good command and when you look at his stuff mid-90s fastball with some good slider curveball and change-up action a four-pitch arsenal like Bryce Jarvis considering he's already 24 could probably probably be called up to the major league level pretty soon like I wouldn't mind at all seeing uh seeing Bryce Jarvis get called up because like I've talked about a lot I want to I want that number five spot in the rotation for the rest of 2022 to be a revolving door if Bryce Jarvis doesn't get uh you know a chance to be a starter this season at least give him a long relief outing and if that's not even possible at least let him get a couple bullpen um options you know let him get a couple bullpen opportunities like I just want to see as many young guys as possible like I've talked about Get the, get the Chris Davinsky's of the world out of my bullpen and let's throw in the Bryce Jarvis's of the world because I think the bullpen right now should just be a mix of young guys and seeing what they have because I think what I, I think the D-backs know what they have in most of their veteran relievers and it's typically not too good. So a guy like Bryce Jarvis, I wouldn't mind seeing. Dominic Canzone, I wouldn't mind seeing. Or Dominic Fletcher, I wouldn't mind seeing. But I think Dominic Canzone would be the most likely guy because he can both play in the outfield can also play first base and he's also just raked for like the last eight years of his major league or not major league career but baseball career so he's probably the guy that I most likely would want to see on the major league level now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's podcast. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on MLB with our pal Sully Baseball, Walking Baseball Encyclopedia, always giving you great baseball knowledge. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.